Peach Pundit the Podcast is a conversation filled with the personal opinions of the people who are participating. Any view or opinion expressed belongs only to the person who expressed it and not with anyone with whom that person is professionally affiliated. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Peach Pun the Podcast. I am Jason. I joined by my good friends, Scott Elizabeth Turner and Buzz Allison Brockway. Guys, it's it's good to see the two of you. Sorry uh, for the made-up names. And also with us this week is a special guest, Peach Funded contributor, Jason Shepard, who is, he's a he's an attorney, and he's going to be talking to us about the Trump indictment. I am not an attorney, but I play one in public policy. Jason, <laughs> it's it's good to see you too. Thanks. Great to be here with you all. Before so, we... Jason, but I got to interrupt because it's funny. Did you just pull Allison out of the air? Because yeah, my wife's maiden name is Allison. No, I'm 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 aware, and you're also your brother-in-law, Stephen Allison, and and I like I said it, and I was like, ah, shit. Well, <laughs> since we have two Jasons on the show, if I refer to Jason and Marie, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Which is the name Reagan has given me. I'm Jason and Marie Pye. Yeah, since you neither one of you clowns know my actual middle name, so. We're going to be talking, we have a lot to talk about today, and we're hoping to keep this this podcast within an hour, hopefully. But, you know, the three of us are long-winded, never mind the fact that we're adding a f- fourth voice to the podcast this week. But before we get started, I'm going to kick it over to Scott. Yeah, so I want to talk to you about our, our friends over at Americans for Prosperity, which is a fantastic group. If you're a conservative who is looking to get engaged and involved, this is a great resource for you. So check them out, americansforprosperity.org. You can click on their Georgia website. These are the folks who are down at the Capitol who are advocating with our legislators. They're also organizing the grassroots to do genuine activism. If there's a campaign that needs campaign help, they'll go door to door knocking on doors. They'll hire those people to do that. If you want to get involved with Americans for Prosperity and support a great conservative group, check them out, americansforprosperity.org. You can select the Georgia chapter. Get plugged in. Go check them out today. Thank you to Americans for Prosperity for being a partner-level Patreon. So before we dive into the indictment, let's also get something out of the way. This, the saga of Christian Coomer, for folks who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard us talk about this in, in previous podcasts. But this week, the uh, it was the, the Georgia Supreme Court ruled that Christian Coomer had to be removed from office, and it was a seven to nothing opinion. And the courts the court said the judiciary's judgment will be obeyed as long as so long as the public respects it. And that respect will not sur- long survive judges who act in a manner that undermines public confidence in their judgment and integrity. In this case, Court of Appeals Judge Christian Coomer is charged with patterns of behavior regarding his use of campaign funds and is dealing with a a legal client that allegedly undermined public confidence. So he has been removed from from office. By the way, that comes from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but I know Scott had had another story linked in in our agenda for the week. Uh, Scott, I'm going to go to you first. This, like I said, we've been following this one for a while, sort of a, a pretty pretty uh i'm trying to think of the right adjective interesting fall from grace yeah this is a guy who had when i had first gotten elected he had served as governor deals floor leader he became the majority caucus whip and then became an appeals court judge eventually uh, after leaving the legislature as a practicing attorney and as an attorney 
before, well, after he was elected and before he became a judge, he had set up this guy's estate so that he was the benefic- benefactor of the of the state of the estate. And you just, you know, ethically, that's a, a challenging thing to do. You shouldn't do that as an attorney. And I can't say that it's outside of the character of the guy that I knew while I served in the legislature. Uh, and the unfortunate part is that he's probably going to lose his law license too over this. I can't imagine he wouldn't get disbarred for doing something of this magnitude. So he's going to lose his ability to earn a living in his chosen profession. And I, I'm not going to jump and jump on the guy's grave. And I'm just going to recognize that that's sad that that's the implication here, but justice needs to be served for the guy who was taken advantage of. And it was an older client of his and he definitely took advantage of him and the evidence proved that. And this is the just outcome. And we hope, you know, the state can move on and that, that role is in the appellate court can be filled by somebody who is passionate about justice. Buzz. Yeah, I don't have much to add that I, I you know, I, I met his wife you know, numerous times at various events, and she's a sweet lady, and I, I feel bad for them. And it's just, yeah, it's just a sad situation. But this is, this is what happens. You, you you play around in the gray areas, or in this case, the the wrong side of the of the white black line. You know, the bright line of what you should and shouldn't do as an attorney. And these things come back to bite you. And it, it's clear. I mean, th- this was a long battle, right? And it went back and forth, but it was clear that the Bar Association was very persistent, or, or I guess the Judicial Qualifying Commission, rather, was very persistent in their view that he should not be on the bench. And that won out, and the Supreme Court, as you mentioned, unanimously agreed. Jason, I'm going a, I'm to a put you on the spot here if you don't want to comment. I totally understand. His, his attorney said that he should have received a reprimand and then gone about his, his, his role in his life. Do you think that would have been enough? Not as familiar as it probably should be with the situation. I mean, I, I know it's basically what's been going on with Christian Comer for the last few, I guess, a couple of years now as it's been proceeding through. But I do think from my recollection of what some of the charges were that disbarment is probably the, the, the more likely scenario. And, you know, it is, it's, it is unfortunate that, you know, it's, you spend a lot of time, you spend a lot of money going through law school. It's really part of your, you know, is you, you do it. If you're surviving your first year is, is so difficult, but you do it because you have a passion for the law. You have a passion for the profession. Hopefully it's not a passion for making lots of money because there are a few of us that do not make lots of money. And to get in a situation, we've, we've seen this with a number of people, even people in politics and uh, elected office in the last few years, they just kind of let it go to their head and they do the wrong thing. I've known a, a handful of attorneys that have been disbarred and obviously a number that have been reprimanded. And it's in some ways you hate to, to see it, but in other ways when you know the person individually and they've, and I'm not saying this about Christian Comer, but just kind of in general, tendency is if you're in a situation be a disbarred, there have been signposts along the way. You've not been, you've not treated people well in your other areas of life you've not lived up to the high standards as just a, of a as a person let alone as an attorney and eventually just comes back because you are licensed you are part of a profession that's supposed to hold be held into high ethics i mean we, you know 
just like members of the General Assembly um, and elected officials, we share, share uh, swear an oath to um, support, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Georgia. So unfortunate, but, you know, I have to say, you know, any attorney that gets in a situation is brought it upon themselves. So now is the time, guys. We are we are getting <laughs> to the main event of the podcast did some, here. Did something happen this week? Yeah. Trouble, please. Some, some, <laughs> some shit happened. Build the suspense. Build the- we finally got the indictment uh, out of Fulton County, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows. It is a RICO case, and Jason Shepard is here to tell us what the hell that means. So I I read the indictment. I read most of it that night and then <clears throat> finished reading it the next morning. I had actually dozed off while the, like I had CNN on dozed off. And then when I woke up, I saw that the, the, the indictment had finally been, been released. There were things in there at first, at first glance, I was like, this seems excessive or you're punishing there, there was quite a distinction between the federal indictment related to January 6th and election conspiracy, all that stuff, to this indictment. By that, I mean, there were things in there where Jack Smith had said that Donald Trump is free to voice under the First Amendment, free to voice skepticism, complaints, lie, which all things he did about the results of the election. And that is covered political speech. That is covered free speech under the First Amendment. But it's where you start putting a plan in action where it becomes unlawful. But there are things in this, in in Fonnie Willis's indictment that I'm like, that seems like an overt political speech like situation here. I'm not sure how you say that was uh, an act that furthered the conspiracy. But anyway... I'll start by saying, explain Rico to us, and then tell me if you think she is going too far here. Well, first off, Rico is the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. It's basically an act where you have some sort of larger conspiracy to commit a broader crime, and that anyone part of that conspiracy can be brought in and charged, and really only one person within the conspiracy needs to be found guilty in order for everyone else in the conspiracy to be found guilty. So even people who did not have, and we've, we've heard it on podcasts and on Peach Pundit, the legal concept of mens rea, that's mens rea is basically Latin for guilty mind. So you could have people who are wrapped, who kind of, you know, kind of wrapped up in, in Rico who did not have the mens rea to commit the crime, but because of Rico, they're guilty as well as being part of this conspiracy. So you'll have within the description of Rico, you'll have acts that are overtly, uh, overtly illegal. And that's what you're really being charged with. But you also, in the, we see this in the indictment, acts that are completely not legal. Acts that are completely fine to do. First Amendment. But if those legal acts forward the conspiracy and forward the illegal acts, then they need to be part of it to kind of explain the full picture. Where we get into problems is if Fonnie Willis is trying to assert that a particular legal act, even if it was in furtherance of conspiracy, was in fact illegal and trying to charge someone with that. And that's, that's 
becomes problematic with, within the context of trying to get the law. And also, I think it's worth noting that RICO is not automatic. That's also a decision for the jury. The jury has to decide that RICO applies. If RICO doesn't apply, then maybe she'd be able to get a few of the conspirators on their individual acts and she can prove some, the mens rea that they knownly committed the act. And that's, that's a very tall hurdle. I mean, we, we see a few individuals like Kathy Latham, who was one of the alternative electors. She's also the chair of the Coffee County Republican Party. She was the over 80,000 chair for the Georgia Republic, sorry, the under over 80,000, the under 80,000 chair. I was the over 80,000 chair. And for people listening who don't know, there are two county party chairs that are elected by their fellow county chairs to represent the caucus on the executive committee of the party. The party breaks it down by population. So you have Georgia counties with a population of 80,000 over and 80,000 and under. So they all meet and they elect a chair. So for the two years from 2017, or sorry, four years, 2017 to 2021, I was the over 80,000 chair. And Kathy Latham served as the under 80,000 chair. There's been talks since the election about things that she and a couple of others did down in Coffee County, getting access to voting equipment, voting records that have been wondering why they, they, they seem overtly illegal on their face. So why hasn't there been anything charged yet? I think she's probably under the most jeopardy. But for what I'm seeing, you know, with talking about the infamous phone call that was recorded between Brad Raffensperger and President Trump, where President Trump was saying, just just find me 11,000 votes, or I'd like to find 11,000 votes. You know, if everyone in the situation was telling Donald Trump that the election was stolen, and Donald Trump believed whether it was a rational belief or not, and truthfully, I can say I was one of the first plaintiffs in Sidney Powell, who is indicted on this, and her cracking case, myself and the Cobb GOP. And the reason I joined that case is I wanted to see evidence subpoenaed that would prove one way or the other. Was there, was there enough voter fraud to overturn the election? Or was it just a few things here and there like we have in every single election? And really, it, it came down to Donald Trump not running the campaign. But, you know, it's if he believed, if Donald Trump believed this, if he believed that the election was stolen, then he was, his mens rea was he was trying to stop a crime. And it's not illegal to be wrong. In fact, you can even say Donald Trump was crazy to believe that the election was stolen. Well, that's fine too, because we also have not guilty by reason of insanity. So, <laughs> I mean, Which might it, be a really a useful plea, a plea for him yeah. right now. <laughs> well, well, and, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Scott real fast because in just a second, because Scott, has the privilege question mark of actually being he's not a co-conspirator or anything like that or a named uh indictee but scott yet, scott yet. yet but scott's yeah. name is in does it does give appear, it time does appear give in, the time. Indi- in the indictment and his if for those of you wondering it you can find scott's name in act 55 of the indictment but but i i will throw this out Jason brings up a, a good point here that, you know, or an intri- an intri- a point worthy of discussion in the sense that Donald Trump may have believed truly that he won the election or that it was stolen from him because he had people telling him he did 
in addition to just his own belief. But he also had people telling him that he lost the election. And he also made a couple of statements, one of which is, can you believe I lost to this guy referring to Joe Biden? So I think it's I think in in situations and, and there's a reason prosecutors don't like mens rea because they have to prove a level of intent and and you have strict liability laws and you have different levels of mens rea. If you want to look up at more about mens rea, yeah. the model penal code is a good place to start. It shows the different levels of mens rea, but knowingly and willfully are typically the, the, the highest levels, knowingly being the, the highest, willfully being right under it. But Scott, let me, let me ask you, this has been a frequent topic of discussion on the podcast. Like we have mm-hmm. talked about this, Almost every week in the past few podcasts, several podcasts. Do do you? What do you think? Do you think it was a? Do you think it's a nothing burger? Did she overreach? Did she? Is she? Has she gone too far? You tell me what you think. Well, it's complex, right? And we have to unpack some stuff here. And so, stay with us because there's a lot to unpack. And and the first thing you got to understand is one of the crimes that's being alleged in this RICO case against. The president and specifically Rudy Giuliani, and which was the part that I'm going to unpack because that's where I'm mentioned, uh, is you have to understand the oath of office for members of the General Assembly. And I'm going to read it to you, our listeners, so that you know what I'm talking about. This is what it says. It says, I do hereby solemnly swear or affirm that I will support the Constitution of the state and of the United States and on all questions, questions and measures which may come before me. I will so conduct myself as will, in my judgment, be most conducive to the interests and prosperity of this state. The in my judgment clause of the oath allows each individual member of the General Assembly to interpret what that means. What are the best interests for the prosperity of the state of Georgia? And the actions that I take mean means that I might vote no on a piece of legislation when other people vote yes because they believe that's the best path, and I believe that it's not, right? And so every member has the right of conscience when in office to act accordingly. The oath says that I will stay true to what I believe no matter what, no matter what other pressures may be placed upon me. If somebody comes and says to me, if you don't vote yes on this, I'm going to make sure you get primaried and you're going to lose. If I change my vote, then I'm violating on that basis. I'm violating my conscience. I'm violating my oath. And and I can't recall a day in office, to be honest. And Buzz, you can share in this as well, where somebody didn't put that type of pressure on me. Like every single day, legislative day, that I was in that building – covered it with a gold dome, somebody was trying to pressure me to take a position that I did not agree with. Did I do it? Most of the time, I'd like to say no, right? You know, I'm, I don't think I ever really caved, which is one of the reasons why I walked out of that feeling good about myself. And I think a lot of people feel that way, you know, that they, they did what they what they believe was right. You know, and so you have different people with different perspectives that come from different walks of life. That's the oath of office. And one of the crimes that's being alleged here is that Rudy Giuliani solicited me as an elected official, specifically me. I'm named as one of the people that he tried to get to violate my oath of office under a specific code section. And and the code section is 16-4-10 and 16-10-1 and 16-4-7 
This is the code section. A person commits the offense of criminal solicitation when, with intent that another person, me, engaging conduct constituting a felony. He solicits, requests, commands, importunes, or otherwise attempts to cause the other person to engage in such, such conduct. So the, the crime that she is trying to bring charges against Rudy Giuliani for is that he showed up to a committee hearing and he said a bunch of garbage. A bunch of stuff that I knew at the time was untrue. For example, he said there were suitcases full of ballots. We know that those were not suitcases. That those were legitimate ballots that were cast. They were in official ballot boxes that were secured according to, to the process and rules and regulations of the state election board. He said these things to us, and we as legislators, according to our oath, were free to act however we wanted to, as a result. He at no time asked me to commit a felony. I do believe that it would have been a violation of my oath personally if I had supported the call of a legislative, a special legislative session to overturn the results of the election. But that gets into this question about, was this unconstitutional or was it criminal? And I believe it was within the constitutional powers of the legislature to call a special session if they wanted to for this reason they could have. I don't, I don't think it would have held up constitutionally if we tried to retroactively change the law after an election had been run. I don't think that was constitutional. But well, I don't think it was criminal. Scott, let me, let me, let me go to Buzz real fast. But I want to I pose a, chest, a question to Jason, and I want him to think about it while Buzz, I get Buzz's take. Jason, this, as I mentioned, this is Act 55. So it's, it's, it's the 55th Act in a long train of acts that amount to a conspiracy to overturn the election. Does it need to be criminal? Don't answer yet. Buzz, let me get your take. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Scott raises a lot of interesting questions because in, in Act 55 that, that we're talking about, it says, you know, names all these folks and say Rudy Giuliani and Ray Smith, who was the attorney, uh, the Georgia-based attorney that a lot of us know. I don't know him real well, but a lot he's been around Republican politics for a while. They're asking them to unlawfully appoint presidential electors from Georgia. So I, I, I guess, you know, I guess that's what the accusation is that by they were trying to convince Scott, you, and the others who were on that committee, all of whom were named there, including the current, the new, the current Speaker of the House, <laughs> as one of those people, to appoint electors, and she's claiming that that would be unlawful. It would have been unlawful for. Uh, you, which I suppose that was a committee, so the committee would have said we want we want to appoint electors, and then but the full house would have to vote on it. And I, I don't know. It, it still seems like a stress to me because let's say that let's say that the legislature did meet and did decide to appoint presidential electors, there would have been lawsuits out the waz up the wazoo, and probably would have been tossed out. Because George already had a, you can't go retroactively back and say we're going to change the method by which we select electors. Uh, Georgia, Georgia has decided our electors are, our our electors are selected by the parties, and the winner, the winning slate, the Republican slate and the Democratic slate, wh whoever wins that slate is the slate of electors from Georgia. Uh, so I, I don't know. It just seems like a stretch, but I mean, I, I guess she'll she'll have to prove it. I guess you know, lawyers like Jason can can tell us, but that just seems like a stretch to me. And then 
by by doing so, because they were trying to entice you to unlawfully appoint presidential electors, that's the solicitation of violation of oath of office. Yeah, that that is mentioned above. So I don't yeah. know. It seems like a stretch, but I think yeah. I mean, it does. I guess we were talking beforehand, right? That does this start to does this head us down? If the jury agrees and it's upheld and yada yada yada, as Act Fifty Five, does it fundamentally change what happens at the Capitol on a day to day basis? Which is citizens coming or advocates for various positions, including hired advocates for various positions, trying to get legislators to do certain things to pass their bill or or whatever it is. For example, um, for example, every town USA and Moms Demand Action come and they advocate for an assault weapons ban, which many members of the of the legislature believe would violate the second amendment. Mm-hmm. And if they come and they're testifying and they're saying we need an assault weapons ban in a committee hearing, they're asking us to do something that's unconstitutional. And it, is that is that in this the same type of political speech that yeah, that Rudy I, Giuliani I, engaged I, I, in? I th- I think you're but I think I th- and Jason I'm eventually going to ask you for an answer to my question. I <laughs> I think you're there's there's a world of difference between a policy issue. If, if every if every town USA or Moms Demand Action was coming to the Capitol and asking you to ban all firearms, that would be a violation of the Second Amendment. But even the the Supreme Court and Heller and then reaffirmed to McDonald when it was incorporated against the states said that the Supreme Court is or the Second Amendment is subject to quote unquote reasonable regulation. The question is, what is that reasonable regulation? Is an assault mm-hmm. weapons ban reasonable regulation? There are states with assault weapons bans. There are states with with capacity limits on on magazines. I understand. So, I understand the point you were trying to make, but I, I would also say we that- go back to we go back to the oath of office. In my judgment, right? In my judgment an assault weapons ban would be unconstitutional. And so I have to stay true to that belief. And, yeah, but then and, others, let's, let's say, uh, you know, forget the issue. You may, you may vote against something and say, this violates, in my judgment, mm-hmm. this violates my oath of office. I'm not going to vote for it. Right. Others, and, and I've cast those the, votes. The majority of the legislature might disagree and say, I don't agree with that. And it gets passed. But I, I don't know. It, it it just it still seems like a stretch to me what what she's trying to do here in this act 55 just seems like a stretch to me it was a, it was a hearing it was a hearing uh, where yes they were asking you you folks uh, Scott and the others who were on, in that hearing on that committee to do things the, people come and ask the legislature to do all sorts of stuff in committee some of it's ridiculous outrageous illegal unconstitutional and so on and so forth Jason I'm going to ask you for an answer to my question Okay. <laughs> so it's not just Act 55. I forget where it is. I think maybe count six or something like that. Uh, don't quote me on that down there. Where it kind of repeats the count that this act, that this act is based on. And of course, the, the act itself says it's, it's a, vi- a violation of the law by unlawfully soliciting or requesting and imputing certain public officials, blah, 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 list the names, by unlawfully appointing presidential election electors from Georgia. All right, here's the problem. There's a, there's a law that says how presidential electors in Georgia will be determined. The U.S. Constitution says that it is the legislatures of the various states that determine how electors will be appointed. If the Georgia General Assembly wanted to go ahead and say the governor appoints the electors, you know, presumably 
that's fine under the Constitution. I, I think the uh, most of the General Assembly would be thrown out of office by the voters if that happens. It's just more yes. becomes a political issue. <laughs> Once you have the legislative session, the legislature changes the law. That is the law. And it goes back to kind of what, what, what Scott said about the Second Amendment. If Georgia's law is open carry, which it is, then changing the law from open carry to back to having to have a concealed carry permit is not unlawful. It is changing the law. So for Fonnie Willis to say this is unlawful is is one of the most ridiculous things. I've, you know, and, and kind of bring back the original question, is this just an, a perfectly fine legal way that the conspiracy was being executed carried out and carried out yeah i mean it's but it isn't she has put this in the realm as this is one of the illegal acts this is an act that is now if rudy giuliani which is not alleged here it may i think it's some of this is alleged in other places if rudy giuliani had gone in front of that committee sworn an oath to told the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help me god and her penalty of perjury and said this and once again mens rea knew he was lying then yeah maybe something w- would be there but but this but, but it, ridiculous stuff like this undermines the in, entire case because i mean and it is it is really a part of the way prosecutors do things is and i've seen this time and time again where a prosecutor will throw as much against the wall as they can to see what sticks I mean, we're yeah. even in civil matters, lawyers do that. We throw, we throw what we can, and even some of the most ridiculous arguments that we were like, yeah, that's, that's not, not going to float. I mean, and sometimes it does. I mean, one the very first, the very brief time I was a prosecutor, which was almost all traffic offenses, and my very first jury trial was on traffic offenses, we had a bad charge. The it was based on the fact that the guy who was pulled over had a Michigan license plate. He should have gotten his Georgia license plate, but the cop wrote the ticket wrong. Say expired tag. I made a legal argument to the jury that the not having the correct tag was the same as having an expired tag, and the jury came back with a verdict of guilty. And you know, and Judge Darnell, who was state court judge of Cobb County at that time, complimented me on being a new attorney, a very good argument, and then he. He threw out the conviction. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, it, it happens. And but that's our but that's also our system. The judge is the gatekeeper. And mm-hmm. so even if the, the the prosecutor gets it wrong, the jury gets it wrong, then hopefully the judge will get it right. And if not, the Superior Court judge, Court of Appeals or Supreme Court. So, so right right before we came on, I was reading Byron York's newsletter and he was taught he, he was showing all these articles, headlines all these news agencies saying you know this is a broad sweeping uh, indictment and he said you know really you know why can't they come up with some different words why do they all have to use the same word but he was saying look this is really a kitchen sink he referred to it as a kitchen sink indictment you throw everything like jason was just saying you throw everything in there at it and let's see what 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 the jury might buy so i mean and, and i i think the use of rico and charging as many people as she's charged. I think she's setting herself itself up for failure here. I think so too. Yeah. I had a, I had a question about that for Jason, if, if it's all right. Go ahead. Um, so I, I heard Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor who now writes for national review, wrote it, wrote an article and then was talking about this on a podcast I was listening to that there's a difference 
well, he, in his mind, Fonnie Willis has totally misunderstood what Rico really is. And the way he described it was, and this is kind of what I want to get Jason's input on. He said, generally, it's you're, go, you're indicting people who are members of a corrupt enterprise. So the Gambino crime family, for example, it's a crime. Rico makes it a crime to be a member of the Gambino crime family. You may prosecute that person for other crimes that that person committed, but that allows you like to get at the leaders of the Gambino crime family uh, because they have all these people who are committing crimes. So the, the, the Trump campaign was not a criminal organization. I mean, Democrats may disagree, but say, yeah. it, the so, it, the purpose of the Trump campaign was not to commit crimes. The purpose was to get Trump reelected. And so people may come along and do illegal acts in furtherance of that goal. But, you know, in the at least in the federal understanding of RICO, the federal law understanding of RICO, this is not even close to RICO charges. So I guess some have said, I guess Eric Erickson has said that Georgia's RICO laws are different than federal laws and mm-hmm. more expansive. So, Jason, what do you... I personally thought it was more narrowly tailored. In fact, I actually had a conversation with uh, Jordan Fuchs about adding conspiracy to defraud an election or something to the RICO, Georgia RICO statute. I'll just point this out. And the funny thing is I got into this conversation on my Facebook wall with none other than Vernon Jones. <laughs> and both of us were in complete agreement. And he, he, he brought up that point, Buzz, about, you know, is this really what RICO is for? And I said... Yeah, and I and I, I understand the Patriot Act is still all about uh, going after foreign terrorists, isn't it? <laughs> so it, it, we got into a conversation about well done, um, well done, Jason. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and we got into this, we got into a conversation about the fact if, if the legislature does not narrowly tailor, and I personally think, like I said, looking at the RICO Act, in fact, that certain things are named, certain certain types of conspiracies are bullet point listed in the act in the OCGA that this, that this is too broad. And actually the general assembly of Georgia probably did a better job at it than the Congress did writing the Patriot act. But a lot of times laws are not narrowly tailored. And if a prosecutor, especially in the criminal law will be thinks that there's an opening there, we'll always take it. And like I said, we, we see that in the Patriot act. We've seen that in lots of other acts that were intended, had good intentions. And it's more the libertarian wing of the party who understands that um, the, there, there tends to be an expansion and a creep to go well beyond the intention of the act. And, you know, catch, you know, catch up people in the web that were never intended by the members of Congress or the legislature who passed it. Mm-hmm. My last point on this before we move on is I, I, I have a, a real fear of the chilling effect that including Act 55 in this indictment will have on people's political activity being considered potentially criminal activity. And I don't want anybody, whether I agree with them, if you're in in every town USA and moms demand action, you have an absolute right to go to your legislature and advocate for those policy positions. I don't want to seem like anything else that I've said to this point. If I disagree with you, you have an absolute right to tell me that I'm wrong if I'm in office. And that is a lot of what has happened here. Donald Trump makes the phone call to Brad Raffensperger. He says, give me the votes because he thought the election was stolen. I know know, Jason Pye likes to talk about how there were people telling him both sides. Yeah, 
there are people are telling him both sides of the story on COVID. They were telling him both sides on Afghanistan. They're telling him both sides on global warming. They're telling him, yeah, he has to make the decision based upon what he believes. He chose to believe, I think. And this, I mean, I have to say, I think, because I don't know what he was thinking that he thought the election was stolen. Um, and so he had a right to redress grievances. He, he called the people that were in power so that he could tell people he had a beef. Never the American tradition of when I have a problem, being able to go to government and tell them I have this problem, even if I am wrong, should should be protected. And that's what I'm afraid we're eroding that with with this particular indictment. Well, if if you were a person who would like to get to that point where you have to take the oath of office and use your own judgment, then you need to talk to our friends at Lisix Media. Uh, this, so this is the buzz over Lisix Media, and yes, pun intended. Uh, the first of his kind AI-powered election domination mastermind begins September 21st. You can navigate to dominate.lisixmedia.com. That's dominate.lesixmedia.com. In this world, either you start to understand what is at your fingertips now, or you get exposed and embarrassed by those that do. You, the frameworks that are proven, you use the the frameworks that are proven to win. Ask our friend Scott here how to reduce the amount of time you spend working on planning by 90%. A lifetime of support and a dedicated two-hour one-on-one with Rob Lee, the founder of Lee6 Media, and the innovator that developed this mastermind. He's also a digital marketer, certified planner, and leading innovator of the AI space in the political realm and all around good guy. Here's the catch. Time is running out for early registration. With the coupon code PUNDIT for podcast listeners, you can basically get half off. Go start winning now at dominate.lee6media.com. And we thank Lee6 Media for being a sponsor of the Peach Pundit podcast. First of all, Buzz, that was the best segue I've ever heard. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, now that we have our own coupon code, does that mean we've we've made it? <laughs> it's definitely a step in that direction. Yeah, I don't, you know, we'll we'll see. When, when I can quit my job and and do podcast for a living, I'll know I've made it. By the way, since we since we started talking about all this, the Georgia Republican Party has sent out a fundraising email. And just, you know, <laughs> please, please, if you can, ru- if you can rush an emergency donation to help us fight back, rush $25 now, rush $50 now, rush $100 now, rush $250 now. Oh. Okay. So, all right. So wait a minute now. Sweet. All right. Let's, let's think about this. You know, the, the Georgia Republican Party under the previous chairman, who's now named in this indictment, had promised to, or made an agreement to pay the legal fees of the former chairman and all of the alternate electors. I, I, I'm thinking Josh McCoon right now is probably breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief that all of the electors were not indicted, but there were a few. Yeah. Uh, and we're getting, but to he them. does, he, he has, he has agreed to, to, to finance the legal fees as several of these people who are naming this indictment. So, <laughs> Um, but not as wide, not as many as it could have been. So the, what, I don't know. The, I don't know if the, I don't know if Josh is happy, relieved, or or thinking, oh my gosh, now I got to raise money for all these all these things. The one thing I I, I hope, and and I I very much want to see Donald Trump go to prison, like very much. But I want it. <laughs> I, my mom is with you, by the way. <laughs> I want it to be done. I want it to be done right. And I, I'm not sure that this this Fulton County case, which everybody said was the one that Donald Trump feared the most, is going to get it done. 
I'd actually go as far as to say right now, probably not. I think those two federal cases are the best chance. And I, I, I've fought that for a while now anyway, but I certainly hope for my Republican friends, particularly my, my tough on crime conservative friends, see how screwed up the criminal justice system is. And you're just getting a taste of it. You guys don't even, you don't know how bad it is for the regular defendant out there who's accused of, there are people who go to prison who are forced to take plea deals who did nothing wrong. But it's it's easier to take a plea deal than it is to fight it and go to prison for a much longer time. And I really hope you guys are looking at this going, you know what? That Jason Pye, he's not a dumbass after all. You know. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. But, yeah, people do agree to no, that nobody is reform. Is I don't know. Thing. I don't know anybody who thinks Jason Pye is a dumbass. They just think he's an ass. Fair, fair, fair enough. I'm actually a really nice guy. I don't, I don't get, yes, I don't get where yes, that's, I don't get where that's coming from. It, yeah. it, the asshole of the podcast is definitely Scott Elizabeth Turner. So I'm, that's usually my role in whatever group I'm in. So that's fine. That's fine. And you serve it very well, almost, almost, <laughs> almost effort, effortlessly. Yeah. yeah. So, so Buzz mentioned this a second ago and, and Buzz, I'm going to start with you since you mentioned it. Speaking of the indictment, there were three uh, fraudulent electors and I'm not calling them alternate electors, Scott, as you put in the agenda, they were fraudulent <laughs> electors who, who were, who, uh, who were on the indictment. That's David Schaefer, Kathy Latham, who we've already mentioned and state Senator Sean still, who was not a state Senator at the time, but has since been elected the, to the state Senate. So is, 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 is Still's inclusion in this, while others are excluded, a sign that this is political? Now, I, I say that also noting that there was supposedly like some agreement of, related to immunity for some of the others. Mm-hmm. But Buzz, do you see this as being political? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily, right? Because because of what you just mentioned, did, we we don't know what went on behind the scenes leading up to this. Did did, did <laughs> uh, our our guest does, but I'll, I'll let him talk in a second. But, I mean, it it could be very well could be, and Jason might tell us here that Sean Steele might have said, "Hey, go pound sand. I'm not taking a deal. Go pound sand," and then he winds up in the indictment. But it it it, it does create a lot of problems here, which I guess is what we're going to talk about in a minute is that. What do you do? We have a we we have a a, sta- a a person who holds an office who is now under indictment, and there's a process that will kick in automatically, I believe, to determine whether uh, Sean still can can do his job uh, effectively while he's under an indictment. I, I will note that the initial I think it just happened just a little while ago. Fonnie Willis asked for, and the judge agreed that this trial starts March eighth. That's in the middle of the legislative session. Uh, so what impact does that have on Senator Still's ability to do his job as a state senator? So, Jason. And I, wait, hold on a second before yeah. you go, Shepard. I, I think, isn't March 8th like the day before Super Tuesday? You might be right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll look that up. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to look it up real fast. Jason, go ahead. Uh, so a lot of this in um, full disclosure – I did receive a subpoena from the FBI on this. Actually, I was called to testify to the grand jury in Washington, D.C., investigating this portion, the alternative or fraudulent electors. I'll still stick with alternate electors. And then they realized I really had no usable evidence and they didn't want to pay for a plane ticket and hotel room for me to come to D.C. and testify. But I did work with the FBI on this and gave them everything I had. 
Sean's involvement, what you know, I think he was a finance director or something like that. He ended up appointed position because you know he and David Schaefer were very close. And I think for the actual meeting of the presidential electors that was organized by by Schaefer at the Capitol, that Sean served as the secretary, which makes him, you know, more than just one of the, you know, more than someone like. Joseph Brandon, Joseph Brandon, or yeah. Carolyn Fisher, or someone, or someone who right. was just part of it—that he was, that he was an active part, and possibly could have been an even more active part, depending on what the evidence was of planning it. So, it, to me, it's, it's, it's. I think he'd be in this situation even if he was just still running his uh, pool building company, and was. Right. And, well, so then you add to that that Kathy Latham is involved in the Coffee County mess, right? So. You know, David Schaefer, as the chair of the party, even though he was also an alternate elector, or was actively involved in organizing the event. So, yeah, I think it, I, I, it, we, we don't know what I mean, that seems to me, I think, Jason, you've identified there's a dividing line between these three and the many other uh, folks who right. were were elect, uh, alternate. Electors. And, I'll, and I'll say there, there's there's more things I know. There have been several of the people who involved in this. I, I won't even get more detailed than that who have asked me for legal advice. So I do have some things I know under attorney-client privilege. So it, it didn't surprise me that Sean was one of the ones that was, that may, you know, I can't say he wasn't offered immunity, but would not be surprised if he was not offered immunity. Yeah. And I think, look, I mean, we, we've we've had concerns that, I mean, the reason that Fannie Willis cannot indict Burt Jones is because she mm-hmm. was political in that instance, at least, in raising money for, for the lieutenant, the, the now lieutenant governor's opponent, and you know, she, she's already out there. Fun, yes, Josh McCoon is out there fundraising, but mm-hmm. Fonnie Willis has beat him to the punch. She's already out there. She's been out there fundraising on this already. And right. as Scott was sending to us, I don't, I don't remember if he, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast. She has a plethora, Scott, did you pointed out a plethora of headshots. Uh, with her looking heroic and all sorts of, po- she's oh ready. She is ready for this moment. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I, CNN has a collection of Fanny Willis headshots in in dramatic lighting from every angle, with every possible wistful expression, thoughtful expression, determined expression. I mean, it is a it is a portfolio of headshots that CNN whatever, has whatever mood you need. They yes. got the, they got the picture they've, for it. They've got the perfect, I've never <laughs> seen a district attorney have so many glamor shots at the ready as Fonnie Willis does. It's incredible. So I was supposed to do my ALZ live read like after the Sean still thing. Uh, but buzz and Scott have jumped like 15 topics ahead. Well, I'm so I haven't talked about no. I mean, we I haven't talked about my take on the Sean Still thing, and and I'm going to depart from the rest of you, and I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's political. Um, I I think Sean Still didn't have an elected title at the time. He was an activist. Yeah, he served as a secretary of of the thing, but he didn't put it together, and he wasn't the only person who signed the documents. I don't know what that 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 raises to some sort of additional level of criminal intent or activity. I don't think so. I think what has happened here is Fonnie Willis sees an elected Republican. She, she's not allowed to go after Burt Jones, which we'll talk about that in a minute. She wasn't allowed to include him in this indictment because of her, her overtly political acts against him earlier in the, well, in the last election cycle. And I think this is her, her high value target. 
she she's going to be able to take a a sitting Republican out of potentially out of the legislature. Now that to say what happens next with Senator Still. There is a constitutional provision actually deals with members of the General Assembly if they're under a felony indictment. The governor is required 14 days from the indictment to appoint a commission made up of the Attorney General and members of the General Assembly in both houses. So lucky some lucky House member and some lucky state senator along with Chris Carr, are going to get to determine whether or not this indictment will interfere with Senator Still's ability to do his job as a legislator. And I'm going – I would be if – I, if I lived in a state that had FanDuel or, <laughs> or DraftKings, yeah. uh, online sports <laughs> betting, I would place a bet that Sean Still is going to be in office ready to take, take his – his seat in the state senate chamber at the same time as everybody else come january scott i have a spare bedroom you can come to virginia whenever you want just you use my (laughs) use my guest bedroom and you can place as many as many bets as you want uh just just so we're clear on that and by the way uh the uh according to wikipedia so take it for whatever wikipedia is worth super tuesday is march 5th the georgia republican primary is march 12th so the week after Mm -hmm. but at least trump won't have to travel far to uh, campaign uh, since he'll <laughs> short, short flight from Mar-a-Lago. Like, yeah. like he'll have to campaign. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, this is yeah. this is the campaign. This is going to drive his turnout. And this is the sad part about it. Is with, with, every time one of these things happens, he becomes the, the base galvanizes around him. Yeah. And, so it's don't call it campaigning when Donald Trump's involved. It's call it grifting. And, 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 and then also, also I forgot where I was going to go with this. Never. Oh, I don't, I don't I got a funny, if you guys, I got a funny thing about that, Jason, a, a friend, I was talking to a friend today who made a donation to Chris Christie's campaign because she Why? likes Chris Christie and wants, wants Christie on the debate stage, ripping Donald Trump a new one. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the note she got back, you know, automated note said, Thank you for contributing. Yeah, worse to the effect of thank you for contributing my campaign. Uh, rest assured, this will be used for my campaign and not to pay legal fees for indictments that <laughs> come down the pipe for me. So, That's awesome. Well done, Mr. Chris. Did you, I don't know if you guys, there was a poll. My Emily's brother sent, sent us this earlier. We have a text thread and I was getting my hair cut. I got, I looked pretty for you guys today. I got my hair cut before the podcast. And it was a poll that came out. It, I'm not sure how seriously I take it. But it showed Trump at 60% and DeSantis now in third place at 8% and Ramaswamy, who I don't care for at all, at 13%. This is a guy, and I'm sorry to deviate so much, this is a guy who says we can take care of all our physical problems just by achieving 3 to 4% economic growth. That is unequivocally not true. So, well, so if he was in House Governmental Affairs, Fonnie Willis might indict him for saying something. Right. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, he's dabbled with nine eleven conspiracy theories too. So, well, I mean, if you here in recent weeks, there, there he was also so, he apparently voted Libertarian goodbye. in two thousand and four, and let's just say that's par for the course with the Libertarian Party. But <laughs> I've never dabbled in such conspiracy theories, at least at least as far as nine eleven goes. So sorry. So we mentioned. We mentioned that Burt Jones is not on the was not on the indictment list for obvious reasons. Fonnie Willis got sort of smacked by or slapped on the wrist by a a judge earlier this year, earlier this year. No, last year, Mm -hmm. last year for for hosting a campaign fundraiser for Jones's general election opponent, Charlie Bailey, that she was no longer allowed to investigate Burt Jones. So they're apparently going to name a special prosecutor to determine Burt Jones's status and. 
you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I think that's one of those things. It's just like you, that shows a, it shows hyperpartisanship on her part to do that fundraiser for Charlie Bailey. And then it shows her zeal as a prosecutor to go to the extent she's gone in the, in the indictment and the number of, of criminal defendants. Did, do you guys think a special prosecutor is actually going to determine whether Jones should be prosecuted? Scott, you first. Oh, I, I don't know how a special prosecutor, if, if the standard is, is Shepard just pointed out is the three people that are on the list of alternate electors that have been indicted and the, and the others were not, the others were excluded. Only three of them are facing these charges. How, how do you justify Burke Jones being added to the list? Uh, is for the special prosecutor, if, if he didn't sign the document, if uh, he was just there, I don't see how you can accuse him of anything more than the other alternative electors who she chose not to prosecute. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, well I'll, I'll tell you, uh, and I'll tell you, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say the situation I think for Burt Jones is the, from what I understand at the time that the meeting was happening, the general assembly, the, the Capitol building generally was closed unless you had actual business there you, because we're, you're still under some of the COVID restrictions. So a meeting of alternative electors to, to go through the motions and do all this stuff would not be part of it. So an email went out and I remember this as seeing, and it, it actually made some of the national news, I think Washington Post, a few others asked me to comment on it, that telling the, the group that when they got to the Capitol to say they were there for a meeting with Burt Jones, or I think maybe Brandon was, Beach was all Senator Beach. Yeah. And, and that, that Burt helped to organize, both of them helped to organize it. So it was part of this cover up of w- the true intentions of why they were there. Of course, uh, on, on Schaefer's side, you know, it's the meeting wasn't secret. Greg Bluestein came in, you know, saw, we looked across the hall, saw, saw the doors open and what's going on there came in and Schaefer's like, come on in and, and reported on it. So, I mean, it goes as part and parcel of, of so much in this indictment that's such a stretch of, or maybe it's just a legal activity to cor- in, in Fonnie Willis's mind to further the conspiracy. But to me, that's that's where I would sort of peg Burt Jones's role in this. And I, I think the, the troubling thing for Burt Jones is there were stories out there that he had a letter to address to Vice President Pence urging him not to accept Georgia's real electors, but never gave it to him. Right. And, and I, I think if, if that is if that is true, first of all, then, you know, that might that's certainly more than just being a guy who showed up to be to be one of the alternate electors. And he, he was party to a lawsuit, as, if I recall correctly. So I think he did some other stuff. But. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, that'll be an interesting test case, because if another prosecutor, I'm, I'm assuming maybe I'm wrong. I'm assuming that Fonnie Willis has a stack of evidence uh, since she put, you know, it appears that Jones is an unindicted co-conspirator in this thing by sending out a tweet in furtherance of the enterprise, according to her, that she has evidence that she would turn over to whoever this prosecutor ends up being. And, you know, will that person go through that and decide to indict? Yeah, yeah, it's an open question, and that so Fonnie Willis decides to invite in, indict Sean Still, a sitting Republican elected official. 
this other prosecutor may or may not decide if he doesn't, then yeah, that that kind of lends lends some, you know, undermines some of some of Fonnie Willis's case. I would think one, one thing, and as as far as this goes, being party to a lawsuit. Let's use Jack Jack Smith's indictment as sort of the standard here, where he said Donald Trump had a right to to lie to the public about the results of the election. He right. he says he had Donald Trump had a right to challenge through lawful means the results of the election that would include court cases and legal system. I would even say he had a right or his, his supporters had a right. I mean, it's, it's not even, I'm saying, I'm not saying I would say as, as it's like a matter of something I have to defend the, the electoral count act says there is a procedure in that bit, that law uh, before it was amended that allowed members of Congress to challenge the electors from specific mm-hmm. states. Mm-hmm. Those things are within the bounds of the law. Being a party right. in Burt Jones's case, being the party, being a party of, to a lawsuit that, you know, alleges vote fraud, even though it's not real and all these other things, he has a right to do those things. Rudy yeah. Giuliani, as much as I think the man has lost his mind, and is a shell of the person who who helped guide New York through 9/11. He had a right to come before the General Assembly, and I mean, I don't know if you guys, Make his case. I don't know if you guys did oaths. If you, if you did oaths, you no, know. there, that's a, that's a key thing too. So one of the recommendations I made on my way out the door, in a memo that I wrote to the chairman of the House Governmental Affairs Committee, was that we needed to put these people under oath when they came to testify to us. As a result of what. The, the garbage that was spewed from Rudy Giuliani that day. Like, we knew that this that a lot of the stuff that he was saying wasn't true. It was being done so they could go out on OAN and Newsmax yeah. and clip the hearing and put video clips out there of Rudy Giuliani telling the story to us and us n- acting like we were deer in headlights and, and wouldn't take action. It was That was what it was for. And so, no, you're not under oath when you testify to a state legislative committee. Uh, so, and, then, and then the other thing as it relates to Jack Smith's indictment, one of the things that is very important he talks about in this, that the, elect, the uh, fraudulent electors, the fraudulent slates of electors in these states were essentially harm, uh, should be held harmless. He didn't say it like that, but he's basically saying they were told yeah. false, under false pretenses to do this. They were told that they were reserving Trump's legal, uh, legal options, so on and so forth. That's what they said. Jack Smith acknowledges in his indictment, I do not think they should have been punished. I think it's wrong to punish them or to, to even even hang a potential indictment over their heads. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. So, so if you're Sean Still's defense attorney, and this is a question for, for Shepard, if you're de- Sean Still's defense attorney and, and Jack Smith puts in a in his indictment <laughs> saying that the the electors should be held harmless because they were acting under legal counsel is are you taking that into court in Fulton County as a defense are I'm are taking, you saying yeah, I'm taking everything I can as as a defense you know it's you know I I like I said I can understand why why Sean still is, is there as as a as a defendant but it doesn't mean that anything that Fonnie Wills is charging him with is, is going to stick. And, right. you know, to, to me there, it's too problematic and you're, you're butting up against basic constitutional rights. 
in, right. in this country, you have a right to be wrong. I would say the Democrats have a, uh, proved that fact every single day, <laughs> along with half of MAGA. You know, I, I would say they're all wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. And of anyone in this group, probably more than anyone, well, then again, I never didn't have to serve in the legislature with him. But, you know, it's I have no love for David Schaefer whatsoever. The things he said about me when we ran against each other were, were just atrocious lies. But I don't see anything in here that would send him to prison. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything I mean, here that, yeah, uh, may, I, maybe maybe a misdemeanor false swearing. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I find it fascinating, though, that Jack Smith can say at the federal level, I mean, this is the, the, the difference between one from one prosecutor's take to another, right? That the, the federal prosecutor can say, eh, that's okay. That's, there's nothing, and, and, and essentially clear Sean Still. Mm-hmm. of of that and then we have to turn around and the 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 local prosecutor who has a portfolio of glamour shots right. says no we're going to charge him the one well thing- that's the pro- that's the problem with the local prosecutor being a partisan elected official mm-hmm. that she is playing to her her base she's pay, playing to her constituents the majority of Fulton County voters are democrats and this is what they want and she is you know the, the one thing is though she's not elected to placate to her base. She's not elected right. to placate to her constituents. In fact, she her job is to put her constituents in jail, in prison, if if required. And maybe that goes with the fact that there are some positions that are partisan that shouldn't be. I mean, why is a DA partisan and a judge isn't? That's not the case in every single state. It is in mm-hmm. Georgia. You know, it's she she's had a statement I saw that, you know, she's she's going to apply the law without prejudice and equally and all that. And as she's saying that in the picture, she has her proud Democrat mug on her desk. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's true. You can be a proud Democrat. You can be a proud Republican. You can apply the law equally if you have that. And that goes back to what we we're talking about, Christian Coomer, that you have to have it within yourself to understand where you are and what you're supposed to do and what your role is. And if you don't have that deep within your personality, within, within your, your heart and soul, then it's going to come out in other ways. And is, is she sort of blurring the lines in order because, you know, the next step is Georgia Attorney General, at least in her mind, or maybe even something bigger? I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily say that. There's, there are things in this indictment that, you know, are I can look with... with legalize and say, well, if, if there's evidence here, then this may be problem. As I said at the beginning about Kathy Lehman. Kathy was great to work with when we we're both on the executive committee. But just because I personally like her doesn't mean that if she committed the crime that there shouldn't be consequences. Just because I personally dislike David Schaefer doesn't mean that if he didn't commit the crime, he should be absolved of it. And the problem is we get our partisan blinders on and maybe we should all be libertarians instead so we can look at it objectively and, and and not through this lens but you know that's that's the problem i see here. philosophically libertarian or classically right. liberal politically homeless uh <laughs> the one, one thing I, and I've, I've got something else to turn to in a second but the one thing i was going to say before scott so rudely interrupted me was was that this i think where it becomes a matter of was this a criminal act? And I'm talking broadly about January 6th, the electoral, the electoral count act is when you try to influence the vice president 
to undermine an election far past his ceremonial role, which is what he was being urged to do. When you encourage, when you encourage a, a group of people to go to the Capitol, knowing at that time that some of them were armed, knowing that they were riled up, they had been told constantly for the two preceding months that the election had been stolen, and they knew that the only way to get Congress to do what they wanted them to do was to intimidate them into doing so. I think that's where you come into acts of criminality. And mm -hmm. and I think that's what Jack Smith has done. And look, I have no problem saying it. I hope he's successful. I hope Donald Trump's ass goes to prison for as for as feasibly long as they can put him in prison. Give him the maximum sentence under the law. I hope that's the case. I don't think he should be president. I didn't like him when he was in office. There were some things he did that I liked, but not a lot. But I don't think Fulton County is the way to go about it. Folks, we have talked for the past few weeks. It's, it's followed on me to talk about our friends at ALZ, the Alzheimer's Association, ALZ.org. If you have a, a friend or a loved one who has either has a, a family member or they themselves have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or some form of dementia, as is the case in my family, both Alzheimer's and dementia, you a want to learn more about it by going to ALZ.org. And if you can financially, when you're not giving your money to Peach Pun at the podcast, please donate to our friends of the Alzheimer's Association, ALZ.org. You can visit their website, learn more. I call them our friends because this is our, our anonymous sponsor has has asked us to promote a, the Alzheimer's Association. And I, I say our friends because I think they do great work. So please visit ALZ.org, learn more. And yeah, moving along, I got a couple, couple more quick things and then we're going to wrap because I know I got dinner on the way. We're having Cadoba tonight. So the press made a big deal about t Trump's team texting about the Co Coffee County situation. I think this shows up in the indictment. But does what's mentioned actually show they believe there was an effort to steal the election using Dominion machines? Scott? So this is a, a, an interesting question, right? So they, the, the Coffee County situation that we've talked about, to kind of flesh it out for, because we've sort of glossed over the details, you had a, a local county election official and the, the chair of the local GOP bring in members of the Trump team and give them essentially unfettered access to the Dominion voting machines because they believe they could be used to flip votes. So here's my question for consideration for our listeners and for my friends on this podcast why would you do that if you didn't think the election was stolen i mean why would you go and try to gain access to these machines what is the purpose of doing that and and clearly they didn't find anything because if they had they would have been out in front of every news and media outlet saying hey we found the smoking gun this is this is how the election was stolen but they went down there and I think it shows the mindset. We go back to mens rea, right? It shows the mindset. They went to look for evidence of these machines flipping votes. And if that's the case, it, doesn't it actually hurt the other charges? If, that, if, if, if it can show that their motive was to try to find evidence of, of the election being flipped, doesn't that hurt the case? I don't. I'm going to defer to Jason on this one. I'm sorry. I'd gotten a text message. And I had one of my students text messaging me as well. But no, it's the one thing about it is you can't you can't commit a crime to get evidence. I mean, you, you can't sneak onto someone's property. I'm not saying that. That's, uh, and that's not, I'm not saying that. That's, right. I, I think I, it was yeah, criminal. It, yeah, it, it does go but, to the mens rea of it. It does. Right. It, and 
and everything that I've, you know, I've seen, even for even the phone call with, with Brad Raffensperger, and I under, you know, I've heard that they have the email from co-conspirator, an indicted co-conspirator number one, I think it is, that on October 31st sent an email or told Donald Trump that no matter what happens, claimed the election was stolen. That even even that is, to me, doesn't rise to the level of, of anything to to further this idea that Donald Trump did not believe the election was stolen or still does not, and still believes the election is stolen. So, yeah, I mean, it's, Kathy Latham was doing what she, you know, and they, the, the belief, the mistaken belief at the time too, was that Dominion was a criminal enterprise. I mean, I have, a, at, at one point, and the person I'm surprised is not mentioned on, and maybe he is one of the unnamed, unindicted co-conspirators, Lynn Wood, left me a voicemail claiming I was, t- I was pocketing Chinese money from Dominion. I do. I have saved the voicemail and I, I enjoy playing it. Oh, at parties. wow. And if wow. any of you want it, I will send it to you. We need to auto-tune and put that to music. Jason, <laughs> yes. I need you to on that. S- send, it, okay. send it to me. I will, I will, I'm actually working okay. on something new. Uh, I, I just need your, 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 your cell number then, Pi. I don't have it. Worst case, I'll, I'll send it over to Scott. Please, Scott uh, can Scott, give it, Scott but, can give it to you. But no, right. I mean, it's, it's this, I don't know. It just, this whole thing, I, I'm just a guy. I'm, I'm like, it's both fast, the most fascinating thing I've ever seen, the most annoying thing I've ever seen, and also the most perplexing thing I've ever seen. Just, <laughs> I mean, it's, and it, of course, it involves Donald Trump. So it would be all three of those things. But anyway, so one thing that was pretty cool yesterday, cool, I don't know if that's the right word. Donald Trump has promised at long last nearly three years since this fucking election took place. (laughs) You got to leave that in Scott. He has promised to, he has promised to produce evidence that will show that the election in Georgia was stolen. We are all dying to see said evidence, quote unquote evidence. Brian Kemp, Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, (laughs) <laughs> responded to the state the statement basically he just i mean he said that the 2020 election in georgia was not stolen <laughs> like that you know i mean what else what else what else do you say <laughs> well I, he was pretty forceful in in a tweet i'm pulling it up now because i i follow on x twitter i guess <laughs> it's twitter what it's twitter i mean it's in the freaking url how do you change Oh, I don't see it. You know, one of the things about Trump's tweet, he, he said he would provide qu- complex, detailed, and, and but irrefutable information. And the C in complex is capitalized. The D in details capitalized. The I in irrefutable is capitalized. I have not seen that many words like that capitalized since, like, the Declaration of Independence. And <laughs> Thomas Jefferson... Oh, here it is. Thomas Jefferson is in is probably angry at Donald Trump right now. <laughs> so the 2020, this is Brian Kemp's tweet on his personal Twitter account, not the governor's account It's at Brian Kemp, GA, the 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen for nearly three years. Now, anyone with evidence of fraud has failed to come forward under oath and prove anything in a court of law. Our elections in Georgia are secure, accessible, and fair and will continue to be as long as I am governor. The future of our country is at stake in 2024, and that must be our focus. And then he has a screen cap of the Donald Trump truth 
post from his own social media platform where he where he says they never went after those those that rigged the election. They only went after those who fought to find the riggers. R I G G E R S. So that you know, I, I felt like Brian Kemp's response here. It, it, he has he's been slow to try to take shots. Yeah. At, at the former president. And I, I found it right. interesting that. All right. The gloves are off. It seems like this. This is garbage. Um, we, we've been we've been promised tales of the Kraken for years now. Sidney Powell said that the Matic voting software was a plant of Hugo Chavez and the the communist yeah. of Venezuela, Cuba and China. And we've been waiting for this evidence for a long time. But what do you think? Is there going to be anything new? Is it going to be a playing? Is he going to pop a DVD in the in the in the player of of the Mules movie? Are we finally going to get the evidence that fueled the Mules movie that has never been brought out? Is is he going to present that from the the voting organization out of Texas that that provided the geolocation data? Is that what what it's going to? What is it going to be? What is it going to look like it's, on Monday? It's going to be. I mean, look, it's going to be a whole lot of nothing. It's going to be a gigantic word salad, but it'll be enough that will keep his MAGA people all, all fired up and contribute. Cause he, I mean, it's, he's, he's gotta, they've got to continue to raise money and give money to his pack so that they, the these legal bills can be paid. So he's got to keep stoking the fire. That's how I interpret it. It's, it's, it's going to be, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's going to be like everything we've heard before regurgitated again. Everything Giuliani said in the the committee hearing that you were a part of, Scott, Act 55 in the indictment. And it's going to be everything that the Secretary of State's office has already rebutted. And by the way, Brad Raffensperger was reelected. Donald Trump wasn't. Jason? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is also a key thing, too, is the, the tweet that, that of Brian Kemp uh, taking the, the president the task has gotten 59,000 almost 60,000 likes and the screenshot from the Donald Trump truth had just under 5,000 likes. That's, that's, that's weak, Mr. President. That's low, weak. Mr. Low rating. That's Donald Trump. That's, that's yes. a number of likes, Mr. President. It's, it's a low number of likes. More, more, more capitalized, more capitalized letters would do it. Jason, I'm going to give you the last word before we, we close out. Well, uh, I, I think this this indictment in Fulton County has has been discussed. The one thing about it is we've had two grand juries that have spent over a year looking at this. We had the grand jury whose only duty was to recommend to another grand jury what they should do. And then the other grand jury sure enough did that. To me, it's, and I've actually have done a number of media interviews, Politico, Daily Beast, and, and actually today, Sunday Times of London, more so on what is the what does this mean for Georgia Republican Party going forward and over the long term? Having everything so focused and not only that, the party so divided between Donald Trump and and supporters and those who are true to agree with the governor, it's more than past time to move on. I don't, I see this maybe a little bit as a case, a little bit stronger than what the DA in Manhattan did, of course, I don't know how you get weaker of a case than what the <laughs> DA in Manhattan did. It's really, it, it's, it's really sad in my opinion, you know, and we may be back here in a couple of months saying, well, we really didn't see that coming as so, a few people we know end up going to prison over this. 
but I don't, th- I don't think Bonnie gets the big fish. And what, what does that do? So someone said to me, well, this is just an attempt to obviously to get Donald Trump the nomination. The Democrats are doing this on purpose and timing it on purpose. And I said, well, you should always be worried about what you wish for. Mm-hmm. Because there's mm-hmm. no guarantee that if Donald Trump gets the nomination, that he, he, may, he may be the most beatable candidate, candidate in their minds. But we thought that back in 2016. Right. And sure enough, Donald Trump ended up in the White House. For the Democrats, I guess the, the worst gamble is the fact that Donald Trump would only be there four years since he's term limited. Yeah, and, Trump only won in 16 because the Russians hacked the voting machines oh, yeah. and flipped the votes. <laughs> hey, before, <laughs> before we go, oh. I, I had one thing. I know, we, I know we've gone a long time, but one thing that really bugs me about this indictment, and I'd, I'd love Jason Shepard's comments on this, there are several lawyers indicted in this. And, and I'm thinking at least two of them were lawyers who were acting on behalf of, of their clients, one being Ray Smith here in Georgia and the other being Jen Ellis, who at the time was Trump, one of Trump's attorneys. And I I mean, that I, I Jason, I'd, I'd love your perspective as an attorney that 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 really worries me. That really worries me. It's problematic. The breach of attorney client privilege is supposed to be sacrosanct. I mean, there are times, though, that you can pierce that. Obviously, if an attorney is, and one of it would be if an attorney is advising a client to break the law. So it's, when I was at King and Spalding, predominantly what I did was called privilege logs, which, you know, we, you would have big company X being sued, and the discovery request would be all the emails from these actors. And my job and the job of the people on my team were to go through and to find where the attorneys, both in, in-house and, and outside counsel, were advising them. Redact certain parts and create a log. And that log was there so the other side could challenge it and try, and try to get what the attorneys were saying. So while attorney-client privilege is, is extremely important, it's, it's not impe- impenetrable. Well, and... I guess what 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 concerns me is does this if you, you're out there you're you're Ray Smith for example you're you know passionately trying to advocate on behalf of your of your clients you're submitting you know you're filing lawsuits and mm-hmm. and so you know and so on and so forth and all of a sudden you are indicted as as part of a RICO criminal conspiracy what what effect does that have on the on on uh, attorneys around the country to think oh man if i if i too forcefully advocate on behalf of my clients i might get i might well, get I, uh... there is a chilling effect too because going after we saw this with Brad Carver who was one of the electors too was not indicted but there were bar complaints filed against him not mm-hmm. for anything he did as an attorney per se in representing a client, but just because he was, but basically just because he was a Republican lawyer, he was able to beat them yeah. all back. But there, there really is a tact. You know, Ray Smith right now is lead attorney on the case in Cobb County dealing with the Cobb County Board of Commissioners drawing their own county commission districts. He is rep- rep- the attorney for Commissioner Kelly Gambrell, who's one of the two Republicans who's, who's suing on it. So what does that do to right. this case in Cobb County as a right. ripple through? Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's, it's one thing that if your attorney says commit this crime or hide this mm-hmm. evidence or something like that, but, you know, that, 
we understand as attorneys that that can break attorney-client privilege. But you know, without without seeing the actual evidence and and knowing that Republican attorneys, especially, and there, there's not many Republican. I mean, it, it seems like every time you turn around, there's one. But compared to Democratic attorneys, we are few and far between. We are you know, and it it, it is we. It is scary out there. We have had we. I've attended seminars by the Republican National Lawyers Association and Feral Society that that deal with these issues, hmm. and it's it's worrisome for those of those of us who are Republicans who are in the profession. Just, I mean, this is the extreme situation being indicted, but you know, Brad Carver has seen it too, and just simple harassment. Hmm. Well, Jason. Thank you so much for taking time out of your your Wednesday to come and join us on the podcast. It's been a you know privilege having you. Uh, it's first to be on. Thank uh, you. Best best of luck to you in all your lawyering, all those things. <laughs> Scott's going to tell us about the people who rock. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Also, you can find more of Jason's writings, and he does take on more of the legal aspect stuff at Peach Pundit the blog at peachpundit.com. So thank you again, Jason, and thank you for being a contributor too and valuable member of the team. We want to thank our, our Patreons who make this podcast uh, possible by their financial contributions. It is voluntary to become a Patreon, but without them, this doesn't happen. So we want to thank our anonymous contributor, Bill Workheiser, John Vestal, Andy Smith, Bo Brennan, Shannon Ferguson, Tony West, Rob Lee, Colin Martin, Sam Thomas, Ryan Graham, Stuart Wilkinson, Ari Schaefer, Ron Daniels, Mike Buchert, Andy Allen, Hunter Burnett, Reed Powell, and Benjamin Hurst. Thank you all for being a Patreon to the Peach Pundit Podcast. If you too would like to be a Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash peachpundit and sign up for one of our tiers. At the $10 level, you get to watch us live, which we've had one of our $10 guests on the entire time today. We really appreciate that. And like, subscribe, and share with your friends. This was our take, the big indictment episode Thank you for listening. And to Ryan Graham, happy happy belated birthday. I hope it was a good one. Go dogs and rec tech. Go jackets. Go owls. <laughs> <laughs>